another installment of The Conspiracy Skeptic. I'm your Conspiracy Skeptic, Carl Mamer, and with me today is uh, Joseph Joseph Stein, Steinberg? Correct. Okay, correct. All right, Joseph. And uh, you are... Uh you're in my you're in my, own, my, 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 my old country. You are in... Uh, you're in Korea, correct? Yes, I'm in... Uh, down in Busan, uh, Korea. F- formerly known as Busan. Yeah, yeah. Uh... Yeah, however uh, you want to pronounce that, uh, Busan. Yeah. Cool. Okay. And uh, but this, this, we're not going to be talking about uh, a Korean conspiracy, correct? No, we're not today. No. Okay. Yeah. We just, we just kind. We've never actually met, but we just sort of know each other uh, through the old. I think. I don't know if we did. You listen to my old podcast, Soul Soul Survivors? No, uh, I I've listened to Soul Podcast. Okay. For a number of years, and um, I, I, I think I, I Facebook friends with uh, with Jennifer and Stafford and 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 Joe, and uh, I, I did a radio show here in, in Pusan, and uh, they they asked me to to do soul po- uh, podcast, and uh, you know I, I've just been you know kind of shy about it and. And whatnot, and so you know, they Jennifer just suggested, hey, you know, you you should do uh, Carl's podcast uh, for you know your first time, and so I said, okay, good, um, I'll try it. Okay, now now I, if I could say, you used to be in military intelligence, right? Yes, uh, from 1995 to 1999, and I I, I served two years in Korea. Like Jennifer, uh, Jennifer and I have a, a, a similar um, uh, resume, uh, but I, I don't, I don't remember Jennifer from the time I was in the military. I'm not exactly sure when she was in, uh, but basically what she did, I more or less did. Okay. Um, I guess for the listeners' benefit, Jen- Jennifer, she was, she did the uh, the Holocaust denial. Uh, she was a ge- former guest on Conspiracy Skeptics. She did Holocaust denial, and and she used to be my co-host on my my Soul Soul Survivors podcast. Just so people know know who who's this Jennifer they keep talking about. Yeah, I'm sorry. The, yeah, it makes it makes it sound so inside. Um, yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. All right. Sorry. And uh, so so that that that's how you kind of came to be in Korea. You. Uh, you were stationed there. Yes, for for two years, I was at uh, Camp Humphreys uh, with the 751st Military Intelligence Battalion. Okay. Um, oh, yeah. And you, you got the, you got the Korean bug while you were there. Yes, I I did. Um, I, I I I tell people that I didn't choose to go to Korea um, at first, and uh, you know I. I left uh, the military and I literally just walked right off Camp Humphreys, and um, you know I I just went to Busan because it has a beach, <laughs> and um, I, I'm not a great beach person, but I, I just figured that it it was warm, 
and um, you know the the weather would be nice, and um, it wasn't Seoul because I really didn't like Seoul, and um, it wouldn't be anywhere near uh, Camp Humphreys. So, um, <laughs> but you know, but I I didn't uh, you know I didn't have to uh, get on an airplane and I didn't have to fly back to the states, which you know now it seems kind of strange, but um, yeah, actually I. I stayed in Korea basically because, um, you know, they the army offered me a very nice, I think six months I think is the maximum of of benefits. Um, you know, uh, while you look for a job and transition out of the army, and I wanted nothing of that. And I figured, hey, I can get a job. Uh, you know, next week, all I you know, I can just get you know teach English. I'm not going to take six months of government benefits. And so, yeah, 2012, I'm still teaching English. That's cool. uh, yeah. Wait, sorry, what, wait, what year did you start teaching? Uh, 1999. Oh, okay. Uh, wow, wow. Okay, yeah. yeah. Yeah, anybody who, anyone who sort of taught there, sorry, this is the conspiracy podcast. This is <laughs> not, the, but uh, this is not the uh, Soul Survivors or, or Joe's uh, Soul podcast. But uh, yeah, anybody who taught there before the World Cup, uh, I, I think, at least to me, it seemed like, a very different experience that that before the World Cup, Koreans were kind of like, "What the hell are you doing here?" And after the World Cup, Koreans were kind of like, "Oh, okay, people do want to come here." There, there was a bit of a, a shift. Right. Yeah. Um, for me, it was nine. It was nine eleven personally, but yeah, there was also that, and I, I think, I don't know, somewhere around two thousand five or six, there was also kind of a, a generational change. I just kind of saw it in the students. Um, their attitudes were a little different. I think maybe maybe it was just that the, what you're talking about maybe took a few years mm-hmm. to really work its way through. Um, and then I, you know, because I, I mostly um, have been teaching at universities, so, you know, maybe it took a few years for those high school students in 2002 to, to work their way to, to college and for me to see kind of a change in the attitudes um, they were they were much savvier, uh, trendier, um, a little bit more confident about foreigners uh, than the the previous generations had been, um, and much more experience, or at least they thought they had much more experience. Right. Uh-huh. You know, I, I always sort of likened, um, um, yeah, but pre World Cup. This is the 2002 World Cup versus post World Cup. I always sort of liken it to um, before World Cup. It was kind of like if you're a tourist there, because I had been a tourist a couple of times, pre and post. And uh, when I before World Cup, as a tourist, Koreans would be like, "Well, what are you doing here?" And be like, "Oh, I'm just a tourist." And they would kind of look at you like, "Like really?" Which, which to me was it was like, you know, if you are a citizen of Columbus, Ohio, and you're in a pub, and there's a German guy there, and you're like, what are you doing in Columbus, Ohio? And he's like, all of my life I've wanted to visit Columbus, Ohio. <laughs> you know, you'd be, you'd, you'd, be, you'd be half complimented, but half like, where's the exit, you know? Yeah, 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 you're, you're, that's a little weird um, to, to hear that, but um, um, yeah, I, I had plenty of experience. Hello? No, it's still here. Yep. Okay, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, I, I, 
you know, like like Jennifer, I had plenty of experience with Korea. I didn't feel like it was really a foreign country. You know, it just um, it, it felt like a place that uh, you know it was more like home. And when I got to Busan, it felt like my hometown. It felt like Baltimore, Maryland. Um, you know, where, where I was born. It was a uh, you know mid Atlantic state with a certain kind of weather. And, um, you know, it, it was a small, small city, not a big city, but still not a, not a town or a village or whatever. And, and Pusan just, it had that same feeling. I think that's why I've taken to it. Um, and like I said, I just never liked Seoul. But, um, so, um, you know, I, I think that's, that's a lot to do with why I have, um, stayed here. Cause I just, I really, you know, like, Feeling wise, it's like, you know, in my gut, uh, this doesn't feel like a foreign country to me. It feels like home. Cool. So, all right. So let me, let me ask, I, I, I don't know if you've listened to my podcast, but I, I, I call them the Korean questions. <laughs> where, so, I, how old are you? Are you married? And we, we know what you do for a living. You're an English teacher. So, so can I ask how, how old you are? I am 45. Ooh, I'm 45 too. Now, what month were you born? December. December. Okay, I was born in June, so you, you have you have to call me Hyung. Oh uh, yeah, that's okay. Well, uh, I will anyway. Okay, I'm I'm still your older brother. Okay, see, so yeah. yeah, you must respect me. I am older than you. And uh, yes. okay. And are are you married? Yes, I am um, to a Korean woman. Okay. Uh, okay. Now that I was going to say that now that might bump you up socially. I think if you're married, because I'm single. Okay, sorry. You're married to a Korean woman. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, her name's uh, Kim Jong-hee, uh, just like the dictator. Yeah, um, very close. Yes, yes. Um, Be- better we, haircut? Yes, much better haircut than that. Uh, and, and she doesn't wear those annoying sunglasses. Okay. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, we joke about that. She's And she's very forceful and aggressive, too. So um, she is. Yeah, she is kind of like a, a little dictator, but, you know. <laughs> You know, it's like the people, like dumb men have this whole idea about, I mean, not all men, but some dumb men come there with that idea. Oh, Asian women are submissive. And it's like, no, <laughs> like, you know, Korean women, they rule the household. You, your job is to earn money and sign it all over. And she does everything else. Yes. Well, you know, I, I have a mother and a sister and I knew that was Bullshit, excuse me, uh, before I came to Korea. Okay. <laughs> so, cool. No, um, no, I, I had a healthy, healthy respect, many forceful personalities in my, in my family. So, um, no, I, I didn't, I didn't really fall for that one. Um, okay. And, and you, you do, you do a blog, right? What's your, what's your blog? It's kind of a bit of a skeptical blog. Yes, I, I I do talk about uh, skeptical uh, information and, and other podcasts. So um, I, I've I've really gotten into the into the skeptical movement over the the last few years. Started with uh, Skeptic's Guide to the Universe. I think most people that's where it started, yeah. and um, Skeptic and um, Brian Dunning's Skeptoid. Um, yep. Yeah. And um, another, and, and and your podcast, obviously. So um, 
you know, and many others um, in the kind of science, in the science and skepticism um, genre. So, uh, but mine, mine is mine is called Infidel World, and um, I also talk about Korea and politics because uh, I have a master's in international relations, and um, aside. Aside from what I did in the army, um, with which was mostly with North Korea, um, I, I'd say politics and, and international relations stuff is is my real love, my real passion. That that's what will get me talking for a long time. So um, yeah. So my read my read on the topic today is kind of an uh, international relations angle to it. Um, a little bit more maybe than um, skeptical angle. Okay. So, okay. And then, or as the hipsters call it, IR. Yes, IR. I didn't want to. I wasn't going <laughs> to. We already have so much inside information. I was trying to avoid too much more. But yeah. Cool. All right. And so your your favorite conspiracy is? Oh, wow. You switched up on me. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. Oh wow! Now I have to I have to think about this yeah. for a second. Well, um, I, 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 sometimes I see complaints. People are like, "He just talks too much to the to the guests before getting to the conspiracy." And I'm like, "I'm a lonely fellow. You know, I just like talking to people. People don't talk to me, and this is the one time I get to talk to anybody." So, yeah. Like, <laughs> and no, to, that's yeah, yeah. And, that's you know, a challenge. I, yeah. And to, I mean, to even delay the, uh, you know, the, 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 the payoff, it's like, uh, I mean, in Korea too, it's like you probably, you spend so much time with like native Koreans that when you do get together with like native English speakers, it's just like, talk, 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 talk. You just, you miss just talking English and not having to explain everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, no, I, I understand that. Uh, definitely. Um, and I, I, I do get, I, I, in, in my case, I, I, I miss kind of just talking basic politics, um, you know, kind of college, uh, college level banter about mm. candidates and, you know, scandals and stuff like that. Um, you know, so, uh, it, it's, it's rare that I, I, I find that person who likes to talk about politics. Um, it's, that's one of those red lines that people have. Um, so um, I don't know. I, I guess, uh, well, you know, well, today's conspiracy, um, you know, I chose it because I, I had read a, a lot of different things. So I, I guess in one sense you could say this is, uh, this is, you know, right on my list. But um now, um, we had also talked before about doing Pearl Harbor, and that's another one of my one of my interests. Um, and it, it maybe would have been better if we had done it on December seventh uh, last year, because this has been a long process of getting Joseph uh, out of his shyness to do this. But um, yeah, uh, but yeah, Pearl. Uh, Pearl Harbor um, is another another one of my um, my interests. Cool. So. Okay, and and so your conspiracy is today we're going to talk about the Roanoke conspiracies. Okay. I think, yeah, um, just to 
just to uh, just to highlight that there are a number of conspiracies having to deal with okay. with the Roanoke lost Roanoke colony, um, and um, like I said, I I think it was you know thinking about it before here, I, I, my angle really has become much more um, IR centered. Um, and much more conjectural because, um, you know, there really isn't, hasn't been a lot of, uh, facts that have come out over the years. Um, you know, th- there's no smoking gun, so I'm, I'm sorry, um, listeners. Um, I, I have, you know, I, I didn't, uh, I didn't bring the smoking gun. Okay, alright. But, um. So, so the, the Roanoke colony, uh, for, for, I, I think that's, for most people, they, at least non-Americans. What, what, what was the Roanoke colony exactly? Roanoke colony was uh, England's first attempt to establish a colony in the North American territories. Um, and for, uh, you know, for a number of reasons, uh, it failed. Okay. And uh, that, I think more than anything else, I think that that brutal fact has just surprised a lot of people. Um, after after Roanoke, uh, the the English uh, were su- more successful with Jamestown, and um, then you had the the Plymouth group who who landed um, farther up north. The um, and the the Jamestown the Jamestown project and the Roanoke project are also connected. Um, uh, they share many of the same people, um, same cast of characters, um, and there there is a um, th- some of the information about the Ro- the uh, Roanoke conspiracy came from uh, the Jamestown project. Um, so we talk about that, but um, so the the, the Roanoke colony. It was sort of a, a failed settlement, but settlement, but the, the people kind of disappeared or something, or, or right. And there, there is no conclusive uh, account of what happened to those colonists. And uh, you know, again, I think that's you know that's leaves the the field open for uh, for conspiracies. And uh, and then after that, there are there are all these. Accounts in, in certain literature, uh, testimony from certain people, um, in the maybe a decade, two decades later, and then there's um, some other material, maybe century later or something. Um, but it, it's always stayed in the American consciousness, um, you know. And, and there, there has been a, a deliberate attempt to to brand Roanoke as the first colony. This was rather than Jamestown, which really is the first colony. First successful uh, colony? Right, right. I mean, it, yes. I mean, the, yes, the first successful colony. Um, so, um, but there, but there is just this, this attempt for people to say, no, it, it was Roanoke. And to use these conspiracies then to say, well, you know, it, it didn't completely fail um, because we have um, all of these signs and all of these things happening. 
um, and these accounts. And so um, it didn't fail. It just succeeded in a less public way, I okay. guess you could say. Oh, okay, um, okay. Now, so coming back to uh, so a bit of background of Roanoke. So where 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 was that located? Where was Roanoke? Roanoke is is located in this really inhospitable part of uh, <laughs> maybe the worst part of the eastern seaboard to start a colony in uh, in nor- near North Carolina. Um, and uh, basically, people have, uh, have heard of the the Outer Banks, Cape Hatteras, Cape Fear. Right. Uh, okay. Yeah. So these sorts of of references, that's that's what you're talking about. Um, this is not a good spot. Uh, this does not sound like a good spot. But the um, actually one of one of the reasons why it was selected um, this region. Was that the uh, the the barrier islands in this particular part of the, this region uh, were thought to be favorable for English privateers um, that they could use they could use these barrier islands to hide upon from after they had uh, attacked Spanish shipping um, and that they this you know the Spanish with their huge ships wouldn't be able to to follow. Um, but they woefully underestimated uh, the danger involved with this, uh, these these islands, and uh, the tendency for storms just to come up out of nowhere okay. and destroy everything. So um, this is this is a common theme throughout all the attempts to to keep this Roanoke colony um, sustained. So this that's the first part of the story is that um English English colonization really started with this notion of trying to beat the Spanish. Um there there was an arms race going on at the time the Spanish had gotten the first uh piece of the new world and they had come back with uh with gold and jewels and they had uh, established colonies uh, with huge, just huge estates using natives as uh, slave labor. And um, basically, I, it, after, after the Spanish came back, they, they basically crashed the currency in Europe because they just flooded, flooded the continent with gold, right. um, which was not what they – Wanted, they didn't realize that was going to be the effect. Um, what are the but, dangers of the gold standard? Is it a sudden, yeah. There's a huge inf- discovery of new gold in the world, <laughs> right? Um, and but it also made them very rich, and yeah. and you have the the English at the time who didn't have a reputation for being sailors at this point, um, who didn't have a lot of money and didn't have a source of gold um, and, uh, you know, needed something to finance uh, their survival, really, against uh, against Spain. Many, most of the countries in Europe had the same problem. So, um, you know, so they, they wanted to find some place to colonize quick where they could find some gold. 
Um, basically, that was what that was what it was. And they they laid claim to to North America almost after uh, Christopher Columbus laid claim to um, you know to the Americas. Um, they got their own little piece of it. Um, yeah, what's, if, I can, if I can just interrupt you a second, but, yeah, but, but you know, uh, North Carolina is not really known for stamping out cougaran cougarans, right? It, 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 is there what, what, is there gold in North Carolina? Did they if they're going there no. for gold? No, okay, no, no, and there's you know, as you, as you know from American history, uh, they didn't discover gold until 1849. <laughs> okay, so uh, yeah. Determined, yeah, plugging away at it, but it, it took a while uh, to find it. Uh, what about here? No, what about you know, there? <laughs> okay. Now, yeah, in the meantime, you know, you founded two countries, uh, you know, on the continent. Uh, all those messy little details. Um, yeah, you and I are just details okay. uh, in one big gold rush. Um, anyway, but um, no, what? When I was looking looking through the chronology, though, what's what's interesting? I'm not going to try not to make this uh, too weedy, but what is interesting is um, that there was a lot there was a lot going on in between Columbus founding um, or or finding the Americas and the English. founding um Roanoke um that they had a lot of contact mm-hmm. with with natives and with other european colonies trying to do the same thing um especially especially in the northern part where it, it, what's now canada um where you know there were very nice fishing grounds up there so there there was something for for europeans to to get mm-hmm. and to make money from and they were uh, they had already made contact with natives, and they had already even started to trade. And there was um, uh, one native had even come to uh, Henry VIII's court, um, and you know, so the English were aware of the natives, and they were aware of the the benefits of going to to North America, um, and they. When the, when the native came there, they, they got it in their, you know, it's they got it in their head. Oh, um, you know, we can do something here. So, um, but uh, another 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 thing that's important, you know, for for the story is is that you know when, when this native came to came to England, immediately the English were were thinking or comparing this guy to what they had heard about the Spanish. Um, and the, the Spanish had, uh, there, there was this former conquistador turned monk, um, Bartolome de las Casas. Sorry to the Spanish-speaking people out there. But he had written this bestseller where he, had, he, he was confessing all the bad things that he had done and what the Spanish were doing <laughs> to these natives. And the torture and and the relocation and the forced labor, and the the English reading populace were just appalled. Everybody was just appalled, and they there was just the sentiment: we're not doing this. Right. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So uh, the 
the first person um, really to to come up with a colonization project, uh, Walter Raleigh. Um, you know, he he did uh, make a you know, conscious decision when we go to uh, these you know wherever it is we land, wherever we decide to land. Uh, we're going to find natives and we're going to bring them back to England and we're going to be nice to them okay. and we're going to establish relations. So this is, this is important, this idea, because the, you know, the Spanish basically just, you know, they waited long enough to figure out their enemy, basically, and then they just slaughtered right. or, or enslaved. That was the Spanish way of doing things. Um, and, uh, so the the English needed to come up with another uh, another way of of conducting themselves. The other the other big difference was that also is important is uh, Spanish rulers basically bankrolled everything. I mean they they paid for the ships, they put the soldiers. The soldiers were government troops. Um, you know that. The conquistadors themselves might have kind of been a little bit shadow, more shadowy, or I think that's a word, a little more shadowy, um, you know. But you know, basically, this was a government operation, and the English couldn't do that; they were just too poor. And so, um, and when it started, Elizabeth, uh, Elizabeth I, she was notoriously tight with money, um, and so. Uh, even though she loved Sir Walter Raleigh, uh, she wasn't going to give him money. So, <laughs> which I guess, guess she was intelligent, but um, worth worth all her press. But uh, still, uh, yeah, he had to find money. He he was able to finagle. Uh, I think it was one ship out of her, okay. a nice ship, a decent ship, not a great ship. But he got one ship out of her. But he was forced basically to go around and uh, convince people to invest in a joint stock company. And so that's that's important, too. This American colonies were always looking for money. And they were the idea was, uh, you know, we're going to scrape the bottom of the barrel and we're going to do this by the seat of our pants. And when we get there, we'll find something that we can sell back in England. Uh, we don't know what it's going to be. We hope, we hope it's gold, but we'll take anything we can get our hands on. And so, um, and and the, really, the entire early colonization period is really this story of like uh, of looking for stuff, trading for stuff, and not finding anything. Um, and it, it, this. There, there is one conspiracy that that's related. Another conspiracy that I, I'm not that uh, that up on, but it, it has to do with this idea. And this kind of it kind of makes me a little skeptical of this this later conspiracy because um, you know it, it seems to to play on this idea that American colonization was just done on the cheap. Okay. Um, so. But anyway, um, so um, so this, you know, Sir Walter was was the guy behind it, basically. 
um, he he is he is the beginning of of the Roanoke project um, under uh, under the in the reign of uh, Queen Elizabeth. So, okay, so so Sir Walter Raleigh, he kind of what does he just say? Drops these colonists off on Roanoke, and then he says, "Live long and prosper." And does he hang out with them, or does he go someplace else? Well, it was reasonably reasonably well planned, but it, there's it, it's just a straight you know strange things. And I, I, again, there's this long history of contacts. It's it's a learning curve, and this is another reason why I'm skeptical. A lot of of these these accounts is it's a learning curve. The, the English really did have to learn everything that they were doing. <laughs> they didn't understand um, what what they were getting themselves into. Again, the Spanish just came with a lot of force, and they just killed everybody, and they let the natives, you know, show them how to do things. Okay. Um, and so, you know, for the Spanish, it was just really easy. The English, on the other hand, were, were trying to be a little nicer, but they, there's very naive. Um, the first, the first batch of colonists, um, that they recruited for the first attempt at Roanoke and, um, let's see, 1584, I think, um, they they included um, basically a, a lot of, of middle class uh, tradespeople and not not um, not very practical. Uh, the one of the one of the things that the the English uh, should have learned is that the Indians really didn't care about English wool um, and the fabric that that the English people were wearing at the time. It wasn't too comfortable, <laughs> and the natives generally usually didn't trade anything for the clothes. But for some reason, when this this expedition was planned, they include a whole lot of people, uh, a lot of tradespeople having to do with clothing, um, spinners and hatters and <laughs> fullers. I mean, the, the list of these old, you know, these old trades that really don't exist anymore um and it it's just it's comical um to think about it um so it's like know, the, it's like the b arc or something like that yeah yeah it, you know it, it's it's probably the most you know fashion conscious crew ever put on board but you know still um <laughs> yeah it's, it's like they set the phone sanitizers there right so yeah right <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, uh, it's gonna be fun. I, you know, um, but you know, but but you have to, but you know, but you have to realize is you have to remember is that English fashion was was you know deplorable. I mean, it, it's scratchy, scratchy, heavy wool, heavy. Uh, I, I they didn't even it wasn't even cotton at the time. Um, you know, it just uh, up until like the 18th, 19th century, uh, European fashion was just horrible. Um, and it, this comes up again and again um, when you're talking about contact with with other people. Um, you know, there there's always these accounts like, what are they wearing? <laughs> um, 
you know, you know, why? Why do they wear this? Um, you know, it, the, the little things just in the, you know, in, little things about the first contact, you know. Um, it, it's, it's strange to think, but it is very practical. It's a very practical sort of thing. And, and even, even the people that were, were colonizing, they began to doubt, like, um, you know, this clothing does me no good in this climate. You know, um, wool is good for nothing. Okay. Um, so, um, you know, so it, it, it's strange, but their, their leadership was a little better. Uh, you know, it, the the mem- the general membership might have been uh, a bit of a strange choice but the leadership was better but still um their their choice for the guy the commander at um at the colony not the not the um the uh, fleet uh fleet commander um he was a master ralph lane and this guy had a lot of experience in ireland um, building fortifications. And so this looks a little better, except that when he got there, uh, he realized there's no stone. And uh, how do I build a fort? You know, all of my big plans to build this nice fort um, with with no material. Right. And so he was forced. He was forced to compromise on his his plans. Uh, when he built his defensive uh, perimeters, um, and so he, you know, it's made out of wood. There's a, uh, there are a few ramparts. I dug a ditch around it, um, and it, it was probably it was probably good for for the situation. I mean, he he wasn't he was more concerned than, and the English expedition was more concerned about the Spanish. Okay. And that that was a that was a legitimate concern. Um and, you know, before they even got before they even got there, they had already defeated the Spanish. So um, you know militarily that part of their of their plan worked. Uh the the commander um of the of the fleet um the um this the seabound fleet was a, a Sir Richard Grenville, a bit of a bit of a hero, uh, very dashing, daring uh, seaman type. He was perfect, and um, right off the bat, though, um, the fleet uh, fleet hit a storm. They were the fleet got separated. Uh, Sir Richard took his fleet. That was at the Canaries. Then they went down to the Caribbean. So this is this is one little strange thing also that comes up is that they they had to take this circuitous route to get to the United States. They just didn't sail across. They had to go to the Canaries, down to the Caribbean, and then they had to go up um, up through Florida, the the Florida coast, and then up the Carolinas. Um, and so. Uh, in the meantime, getting from the Canaries, which are closer to the east, closer to Europe, this is the you know the notorious uh, haunt of the Spanish ships. Uh, they they're basically crossing right over Spanish waters, and so he he takes them there, and in the Caribbean he knocks off some Spanish ships, picks up two more, 
and you know they land on the island, and Sir Ralph, or excuse me, Master Ralph, uh, builds his little fortification, and then they fight off the Spanish uh, or in Puerto Rico, and um, you know they're feeling pretty good about themselves at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you know they get back on ships, and they get um, back for. Uh, the Carolinas, um, which which had already been, you know, they already they knew exactly where they were going to land because they uh, the expedition had already been there in a few years before, mm-hmm. but they hadn't the expedition had not really done a wonderful job of reconning the place. Um, they had encountered natives, um, and they'd had a good time. They had had trouble. They almost lost a ship in the the Outer Bank, okay. which should have been a huge warning to them at the point. But um, so they were, uh, you know, that created a bit of a challenge. They had a they had a nice time with the natives. It was friendly, um, but and, and and it's interesting. And th- again, this sets up the future, you know, things in the future, is that the the natives were just amazed by all of the metal that the English were wearing, okay? Because you remember Elizabethan soldiers wearing those helmets and those heavy um, heavy chain, um, you know, plate, chain and plate armor. They had these weapons. Uh, they looked very impressive. And although the, the English at the time didn't have food because they the storms that they had encountered had wiped out their food they had wine (laughs) and they had a good old time um and the indians like that obviously okay but but and this is this is where this is where the ir part of me comes in is that it's also it's also a recurring theme in these these early years and even even later into the 19th century um yeah the indians were amazed by a lot of characteristics that they saw in these these strange white people but they saw them as um opportunities i guess is the best word to say they they saw they saw that metal they saw you can't put an arrow into this heavy metal they knew what it was i mean they knew what metal was they had some of them had it uh there was a little copper in the area but not a whole lot um and tribes that had more copper did did better in battle and so they understood if we can get a hold of that metal that these guys are carrying around we can you know we can kick ass in in this area um and so as long as as long as these guys aren't too much trouble or they're not too expensive, uh, we can we can benefit from these people. Um, and so that's that's what the natives took away from this. Um, and again, the English really didn't understand that. Um, you know that they were being they were being sized up as much as they were sizing up the Indians. Right. Um, they also they also grabbed two people. Again, Raleigh's "be nice to the natives" policy. Um, they they wanted 
they wanted to invite at least one person. And it just so happens when they finally did get underway to go back to England, they just so happened to have two Indians on board the ship. Oops. Um, they weren't invited. They were forcibly kidnapped. Um, and it's just that one of them resented white people to the end of his days. And the other guy, the other guy became a Christian and an English lord, which is another one of these crazy, um, crazy facts in the history of, of native European relations. Um, so, and he becomes very important because, um, his village is Croatoan. Um, that's, that's where he comes from. And, uh, the, uh, the other guy came from another village somewhere else. But, um, so Monteo, I think pronounce his name, um, he, he goes, he goes to London, he visits the Queen. Uh, he, I mean, he visits Raleigh and then he, Raleigh takes him to the Queen and, you know, his head is spinning. I mean, he just, wow. You know, London is not the greatest place in the world, but still, it's impressive. Um, so, um, you know, he become, the, the English decide, um, that, uh, Monteo is a big part of their project and he's going to be, Basically, their their chief diplomat to to go back and to be nice to the um, to the other natives to you know to convince them um, you know that the English are sincere. Okay. So, so you know that's a lot of a lot of the lead up is more is more important. Excuse me, is more important than um, what you know the actual start of the colony, um, but. Anyway, yeah. So yeah, it's this weird group of people with a, a decent a decent command structure. I mean, they they knew it was going to be tough, but I don't think that these uh they just were not prepared for what they were getting themselves into. Okay. What they thought they were doing, you know. This is not um I, I think one one of the reasons why I like this is that they you know, I I'm a big Star Trek fan. Right. And I, I I see this kind of as a you know um, a lesson in space exploration, like how do how do you go out into space, right? And I think the one thing that we can take from Roanoke is uh, don't do it like you did at Roanoke. <laughs> It's um, like SETI Alpha Six, right? It's like you know, just don't. It's the what is it? SETI Alpha, no, this is Alpha Five. No, this is SETI Alpha Six. And don't drop off Con on SETI Alpha Six. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Hey, well, you know. Well, actually, I, I, I'm thinking about first contact. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, you know, I, I, I'm thinking. I'm thinking about meeting the Vulcans, right? And <laughs> I'm just thinking, no. It wasn't like that, um, and it's probably not going to be like that. It's more likely that no one is really going to understand what's going on, right. and both sides are going to be confused and misinterpret everything. Right. Uh, you know, and I, I remember watching that movie Star Trek: First Contact, and I, I remember there was that there was that humorous scene right as the movie is closing, where uh, you know Zephyrin Cochran turns on the jukebox, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you because know, he's just a you know 
a music loving drunk. Yeah. And, you know, the, the Vulcans kind of jump out of their seat, you know, and, you know, and he's, you know, whatever he kicked it or hit it or whatever he did to, to get it going. And I'm thinking, Oh my God, they're going to blow this place to smithereens. I mean, you know, I, I seriously don't think in, in most situations that, uh, you know, the other, you know, the other strangers are, are just going to, you know, take surprises lightly like that, you know. So, um, I, I, you know, that, I just thought that was implausible. And this Roanoke just, I think, just proves the point. Jamestown proves it too. It just, um, they, they managed to survive at the skin of their teeth. So, um, but, you know, but anyway, so there, you know, there was, there was more than one attempt. That's that's you know one thing in the story that doesn't um, that isn't um, um, emphasized. Uh, this is this is before um, the dares even touch foot on um, you know on American soil. And this this first attempt was probably the best attempt. It might even been better than Jamestown. Um, as far as the planning that went into it okay. and their luck. Um, but the other, the other thing, again, the other IR kind of thing that's important is when they finally, you know, they, they reached their site that they wanted to use and they started, you know, they started building. Everything's, everything's doing well. And, you know, they meet, they have, they have met the chieftain's brother and, Again, they don't realize that the chieftain's brother is the nice guy in the family. Okay. Um, and that they just don't, and they don't realize, you know, the natives had politics. Um, and basically the chieftain's brother looked at them and thought they're an opportunity. Um, and so he was nice and he was you know he was willing to sit down and you know have a nice talk listen to monteo um about these things and you know of course monteo really helped and um very impressed with what he saw and he goes back to his brother who happened just to be injured at the time and you know that was why he he wasn't the one who was greeting and tells his his brother well, you know, his brother is this sickly-looking, muscular, uh, you know, thin reed of a guy who basically hates the world. Um, he's he's this, you know, he's kind of this Machiavellian, ugly Machiavellian character. And when when the English first meet him, they are just like, you know, it, this is like the ugliest Indian we've ever seen. <laughs> Or ever knew of, okay? He's, you know, he he's, you know, he's not, you know, he doesn't have a nice, you know, uh, demeanor or anything. He's got, you know, his face looks weird. Uh, he's, you know, he looks like he's just going to fall over and die in the next minute. Um, you know, and that that's normal, not just because he's recovering from from injuries. Um, but, you know, this guy, you know, this guy, Wingina, is basically a plotter. Okay. He's, that's how he succeeded. He's not, he's not a warrior. And he, he takes, he takes an instant dislike to the colonists. He is immediately 
skeptical of what he sees. Impressed, like his brother, but still, it's it's the opposite reaction. And so, and again, at first he looks at them and he says, oh, wow, look at all that armor, look at those guns, look at these houses. They take him to church uh, to to pray with him, and he's, you know, yeah, the English think he's just totally bowled over because he's, you know, he's just looking at everything. And, uh, you know, but he, the way he sees it, he's thinking, oh, you know, again, here's my opportunity if I can get a hold of this stuff. And these guys must be really powerful because they got all this stuff. And look, and their gods must be powerful because, you know, what what god could be weak if they've got men running around with armor? Um, but that it doesn't last long, and and you know because um, the the colonists on the way in have already lost all their food. Okay, this, those storms and the voyage and all their problems—they can't be that so, right. Well, unfortunate. I mean, no, they they planned well. They brought a lot of food. But the the Indians must just think, well, they got all this armor, but they're, you know, they can't, they lose their food. Right, and they don't have anything. Yeah. Um, And so they have to continually ask while they're, you know, they have to wait for the next season for the the, the harvest to come in. Um, And they're constantly asking. The Indians just lose all their patience. Um, and it's, it doesn't matter if you got armor, you know, you guys are just a, uh, you know, a pain. Um, and if you can't, you know, if you can't feed yourself, what good are you? Um, and, 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 and I mean, really, and again, as far as planning is concerned, these, these, these people are not incompetent. It's just they, they didn't, they didn't realize, you know, things go wrong. Um, and they can't even fish. You know, um, and they finally they you know they're looking at the Indians. They all they realize, oh wait a minute, we have to spearfish. Um, we can't we can't do it with nets. Um, and you know we we have to. Uh, they, they can't even um, they can't even go hunting because okay. they lost their gunpowder. Mm. So yeah, those those weapons are nice, but you know the Indians. Well, they realize later, but. Um, you know, they didn't realize at first, so those weapons are useless. Uh, big clubs, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, which, you know, still useful, but... Um, and so, you know, patience patience evaporates over time, and eventually um, th- this chieftain just decides to attack. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's the first thing, is that, that first attempt... Is all those people are already whittled down, and they're already desperate and hungry, and so you know they, they decide. Well, we have to go back. Um, we have to send somebody back, and so they send a, a a group back to England to come back with more people and, and more food and help. Um, and in the meantime, you know those poor people have to fend for themselves. Uh, Sir Walter, back in England, Sir Walter's popularity goes up and down, um, and his money supply goes up and down, because the only money he gets is from the Queen. And he has this on-and-off-again love affair with the Queen, 
Um, and when she likes him, she gives him money, does anything he wants. And when she doesn't like him, he, he gets imprisoned in his house. And so it's a precarious existence for, for Raleigh. And so basically this is, this is another piece of the puzzle. Why, why do you set up a colony and then forget about them? Right, right. Well, one of those answers is, is that, you know, your, your patron, the guy who is, is responsible for getting money and for, um, putting together a team of people to do all these things, um, is, you know, very often imprisoned in his house. Um, okay. and he can't get money. Um, then, uh, you know, there's also, there's also this big event, the, the invasion of the Spanish Armada. Um, and so it doesn't, it doesn't matter to the queen. She doesn't care about her little colony when, you know, the Spanish Armada is bearing down on her, on her country. And so, um, you know, Sir Walter has to fight for his country. Uh, she doesn't care, um, what he wants. Um, and he realizes, oh, you know, I have to fight for my country or I'm never ever getting anything else from my queen. Right. Um, so, uh, that happens. Um, and so every, anybody who can sail a vessel is involved in this effort. And then, uh, of course, after it, England is even more in debt because they mortgaged, you know, they mortgaged the, the clothes on their backs, literally. Um, to fight the Spanish. So, and it's a long time after that, that they can find ships, uh, to put back, uh, for something as, as quixotic as an expedition. So that's, that's the, um, you know, that's the short answer. Um, they were busy. (laughs) They were very busy. And Sir Walter, uh, was in prison basically. Right. Um, so they try again, um, they finally they finally get out. Um, the the queen shows her love again, and this is this is the the voyage where uh, John White and his grand his daughter uh, Eleanor Dare, who is pregnant at this time with Virginia. This is another incredible thing. This this second voyage includes two pregnant women. Um, at least two pregnant women. Okay, I mean, it's just <laughs> you're going you're going to a place you've never seen in your life. Uh, the first the first try um, has been difficult. Um, you know the the recruiters that were you know the the Raleigh hired to find people had a particularly hard time finding people um, for the second voyage because the word is all over England. You know this is not exactly the most successful venture <laughs> and they have nothing. Okay. There is no gold. Um, you know, that's, that's clear. Um, so, you know, it, it's really hard. Um, you know, so, uh, you know, John White is, is leading this and his, he brings his, his daughter and his, uh, and her, his pregnant daughter. Um, and they try again and again, it's like it's like a repeat of the first time. The ships ships encounter storms, go to the Caribbean, run up the coast. Um, difficulties even landing because you know, because of the the, the coastline. Um, and now 
now we have to you know to find the the village again this is where Mateo you know comes into um you know had come into uh good use because when the those people that were left uh he told them well you know let's go to my village um you know and uh, my people will take care of you you know okay um and so you know they uh they head for um Monteo's village um Monteo's people nearly kill him um because they don't recognize him you know he looks english um and then after you know after they make up and introduce the english settlers then you know Monteo's village tells them oh you know uh, your people got wiped out um you know another group of indians attacked them finally and they're gone okay um so uh you know so they make it back they go back to the original site and it's obviously it's wrecked and so they try again and this time it's you know they they understand they can't build a a nice castle or fort uh so they it's a little easier it's a little more on the quick this time and uh, they build a lot of nice houses and uh it looks like a nice Elizabethan village um, in the woods. Um, and we have, again, the same problems. You know, they are running low on food. Again, they don't, they have to, they have to get a crop in the ground and they, they have to wait. So, again, they have to beg for food from the neighboring tribes, which, I mean, again, they should have realized that wasn't going to work after the last, right. the last group got wiped out. And so, um, you know, this, this continue, it's, you know, this is like the, you know, the, the background chatter. This is the, the, you know, the, the mosquitoes that are constantly, you know, flying in their face. You know, this, they are constantly dealing with these irritations. Um, it's never just, they never quite get a break. It's not that they didn't plan. Some of their plans are just crazy. Um, but you know they they just didn't plan for bad things to happen okay. like it did, and um, so again, um, you know, situations deteriorate. The the colonists that are there are just past the point of angry. Now, I mean, no gold, scraping by, uh, you know, very hungry. This is not fun. <laughs> Um, even worse than they thought. Um, and so, um, after, um, you know, after Virginia Dare is born, um, Monteo is, is also christened. Uh, and so, you know, Monteo is now English. I mean, he's a lord, he's got the titles, you know, and he's Christian now. Um, and so, um, so they the, the the colonists uh they want another group to go back to England and to uh again, you know, bring back food, bring back more ships and men. And uh but the surprise is is that 
they want the leader to do it. And this, this is again, this is, you know, another part of this mystery. It's like, why, why would Virginia Dare's grandfather abandon his granddaughter and daughter in the, in this strange place, right? Right. The answer is the colonists did it. Okay. They, they basically, uh, gave a really big vote of disapproval, a vote of no confidence um, in John White and his leadership. And so, um, you know, they, they decided if, you know, if John White wants to make it up to us, well, you got to go back to England um, and, and, you know, save us. So um, he's as surprised as anybody is in his journal. He's just shocked. He just suddenly realizes, oh, they just, they just don't, um, you know, they think I'm a failure. Um, and really, I mean, it, it's not surprising because his, and again, this, it's it just, it's just so comical. His job in the original, because this is his second time, his, his job in the original expedition was to draw pictures that he, he was recruited to make sketches of the terrain and and uh for publicity basically to show people in england this is this wonderful place i i, th- I think i worked for a dot com like this in uh, in seattle back in 2000 sorry <laughs> um yeah it, it's it's just you know it's just hilarious uh kind of dry but yeah i mean it's like why you know it shows you Raleigh's because Raleigh recruited him. It just shows you Raleigh's uh, mindset when he was planning this expedition, what he was thinking of. Um, that he has, you know, he has a a um, you know publicity guy, basically an ad man, um, you know, on the expedition in a major uh, position of authority. And now on the second one, he's the leader. Um, so at least on the you know at least on the first expedition he had a uh, you know an experienced military man. Right. Um, so so anyway um, so White White goes back um, very sad and it's even worse than before. Raleigh is really in a bad position now. Um, and it doesn't look like the Queen is ever going to you know to favor him again. Um, and there is a long wait. And this is, you know, this is the situation. This is, you know, why things just, you know, fell apart. It wasn't until uh, 1590, yeah, 1590, that um, they get around to planning another expedition with absolutely no idea what's happening. And in the, mean, in the meantime, the Spanish, the Spanish know about this too, and they have they have sent at least one or two expeditions to try to destroy this place. Okay. So you know this is just a you know they're just in a horrible spot. Um, now now this gets to the real. This is a long way to getting to the the conspiracy. Um, you know what happened to these people. Um, and so again, you have Monteo there, and he's got his village. So it seems, you know, it seems plausible to think, you know, in in case of danger, go to Monteo's village. 
um, you've already done it before. Mm-hmm. That seems, and that that had already been discussed, and that was that was why, you know, that that's the you know why Croatoan, the village's name, is you know is probably etched into the into the tree. Um, there was already there was already a plan um, to go to to Croatoan as a as a safety measure. And then you you have one tree. They first they found um, first they, the first tree they found had Croatoan carved in it, and as as White White described it, it was in very very leisurely way. Didn't look like the person who did it was rushed. <laughs> Um, but, uh, and it was, I'm sorry, let me check something, check my facts. Um, believe that there was a, there was a cross that they had agreed that, um, in, in case of danger, if, if the group is under attack, put the location and then carve a cross. Okay. To so indicate, indicate they're being 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 attacked, and that's right. So okay, so there is there is Croatoan, and there is the let me see, make sure because I know the second the second one there was none, uh, there was no cross. Okay. But the first one they found had a cross. Second one we have the the infamous letters C R O. Okay. Okay. All right. So, um, wait a minute. Let me just check that because I know it's probably the one detail that everybody knows. I want to make sure in my head that I didn't s- switch those around. But anyway, so he finds them. No proof of where these people are. Never, never sees them again. Never sees his granddaughter again. So there are two theories what happened to them. Okay. So um that one group went west into the further into the interior and joined a tribe and another group went to to Croatoan. Okay. So um so wait a minute. Um yeah, I I did flip them. Uh first one was CRO Okay, with no cross, and the second one was the full word uh, uh, Croatoan without a sign. Okay, uh, so um, sorry about that, but um, yeah. So th- those are the two theories. Now, um, so now now we're into the you know now we're into the the actual conspiracy what happened to these people so there are the two general theories now there's there's a third third theory um that brian dunning dunning um discusses on his uh podcast last year he did a program which i which i recommend um i i don't disagree with anything that he wrote um except for uh his conclusion and interesting yeah um you know the the account is good and I, I i suggest that people read the account it's a it's a nice uh, quick summary <laughs> quicker than mine um 
uh, of the the basic facts, the chronology of what happened, um, with a, a good deal of description of uh, of things that I, I I've tried to talk about. Um, but he he concludes uh, with a, a third theory that was that is supported uh, offered by uh, a man by the name of Quinn, a historian. And this is this is where Jamestown and Roanoke come together, because um, when when John Smith, the fabled John Smith, um, was um, everybody remember the story of Pocahontas, yeah, yeah. Um, which which actually is probably a tall tale, um, most probably a tall tale, um, and that. And that in itself is the reason why I discount this theory. Um, John Smith was uh, was captured by uh, the local uh, local confederation, and it was that was the first time that uh, Pocahontas saved him. Um, and after two other attempts. Um, on his life, where Pocahontas saved John Smith. Um, finally, there was kind of this uneasy, I, I guess, I don't know if you call it a friendship of enemies or something, I, I don't know, you know, how you, rivals, friendship of rivals, that grew up between John Smith and uh, the Indian, um, Indian chieftain. And he just told him flat out and just told him, yeah, you know, basically don't worry about these, those people from Roanoke because I killed them. <laughs> basically. So he's, his account, and this is, this was Quinn's, Quinn's theory. So basically, um, a group, the, the group of Roanoke colonists had, for years, they had talked about the Chesapeake region. It was known throughout that long chronology I was talking about. They had already, they had already mapped out some parts of the, the of that region. They knew that that region was very nice for colonization, or at least they thought it right. was. In their limited knowledge, um, and so there was a there was this plan to go to uh, to Croatoan, but there was also this kind of, this other plan that. We should move out and move into this, what looks like this rich land in, along the Chesapeake Bay. So, um, you know, that was another thing that the, at the time that they were thinking, oh, um, our group of people, uh, pushed out and they went to the Chesapeake, just like we talked about. Um, and so when they landed, in 1607 to set up the Jamestown colony, it was on everybody's mind. Okay, we uh, we will very likely find Roanoke colonists. Uh, they have to be in this area, and so everybody, you know, they they were they were asking when they were when, you know, in, the, in the very early beginning when trading and do you you know do you know about this? Do you know? Have you ever seen anybody else? And so, um, you know, this very dramatic scene that John Smith talks about where he almost dies and the king just basically sticks it 
you know, sticks the knife in a little deeper and and says, you know, I killed them. They, these people came up from the south. They moved up from the south. I saw them as a danger. I killed them. And again, there, you know, this IR thing, the the difference between the the guy uh, who the, the the Jamestown people had to deal with, he wanted to wipe them out from the beginning too. All right, and he had he had heard these stories. According to him, he had heard these stories of Roanoke. And he he was very intent to capitalize on those mistakes, what he saw as a mistake. He wasn't going to wait um, to wipe them out. So, um, you know, but again, this is John Smith. Um, he it's it's pretty much proven that the Pocahontas story is a huge lie. Um and he's he was known for other tall tales in his life, and a lot of his reputation, contemporary reputation, was based on boastfulness. Um, he was just kind of, again, he was kind of like Raleigh. You know, he, he was a soldier, man of fortune, looking for any opportunity. He had done a lot of of campaigning in in Eastern Europe, and so he was a you know he was also a very good choice to to have for an expedition. Uh, brought his own weapons, you know, and and already had experience in, in tough situations and very charismatic kind of person. But he wasn't in charge, um, except maybe in a, a very practical sense because the, the other people were incompetent. But, you know, it's, it's clear he had no romance with Pocahontas. She did not save him because she loved him it had to do probably had more to do with indian politics she had she had this very powerful father who controlled a large territory she had older brothers who every who had lots of power within the confederation um and they her father and brothers were fully intent on wiping out any enemy that came in 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 their way and it, her name, uh, the, you know, there's an account I read from another historian. Her name was really, uh, Madaoka, which means, uh, and Pocahontas is a nickname, which means a sort of hellion. <laughs> so basically the, the other account that I read from, um, it's Charles C. Mann, um, is that basically she was a spoiled little princess who saw an opportunity to make her influence known um, to her father. And so her father wanted to kill um, this, you know, this foreigner. And so she jumped in front. And it wasn't because she liked him. It was because she just wanted to prove to her brothers and her father, hey, you know, I can, you know, I can play this game too. Um now she did eventually marry an Englishman, and she, I, I believe, yes, she did die in England, um, a, a proper English woman. But um, yeah, still at this point, she didn't love John Smith. Um, but John Smith was willing to tell this story um, 
you know, to impress people back home. Um, and, you know, again, to, to convince people to come to the colony because Jamestown needed the right people too. Um, so that's, that's one reason that I'm skeptical of, of this story that the guy told him. Um, and, you know, and, and this guy had other, he had other motives to tell him this too. I mean, you know, I killed them and I'm going to kill you too. So why don't you all just go back to England, um, right now? You know, um, so I, I'm skeptical of, of that story. Now there's other parts of this conspiracy is that they, there are, um, near contemporary accounts of, uh, children running around with gray eyes, um, white skin and blonde hair. Um, and, uh, I mean, one account, um, you know, people who could read a book just like us. Okay. I find it interesting, interesting way of describing it. Um, and, uh, the, there is another organization, um, in Roanoke that has been conducting, uh, DNA analysis. And I have, you know, that there's no conclusions, uh, definitive inclusion, uh, conclusions about that. Um, but again, I'm not, uh, I, I don't rule out that somebody survived. Okay. That one of, you know, some, some person made it into the woods. What I, uh, what I doubt based on their, based on this long experience, uh, uh this l- tall learn- learning curve, I seriously doubt that they were able to plan an expedition and to survive <laughs> from Roanoke to, um, you know, to the Chesapeake region or anywhere near it. How, how long of a trip would that have been? It's it's not that long. It's it's you know it's less than a hundred miles, I think. It's it's not that long. But I, I you know making an expedition is a very different thing even than colonizing. And you know they they never had enough food, for one thing. Right. They they never demonstrated really um, that much organizational ability and the people that were left because remember they they sent people back and they were usually the leadership which were the people that had military experience and so um you know these these are the the lesser gentlemen um that were were left behind um some of them with with a little bit of you know maybe they they could fire weapons um but they you know they they never had any experience being in the field um, and planning these things. And, and as we see all throughout this history, planning was a was a big problem. Um, and so I, I, I'm doubtful that any group could leave the area in an organized way and make it and then set up, even get near to setting up another another settlement somewhere else that this other uh, you know, this other chieftain, um, would find alarming. Um, also, um, you know, going back to the politics, I just, I, I find it doubtful that any, any tribe in the area, and in, we're, we're talking about so many different little tribes with so complicated relationships, 
I find it doubtful that any chieftain would want them. <laughs> now, I mean, they they had nothing to offer him in the, in their little game, you know, that they're they're playing with each other, um, and hardly impressive. And so I I would just think that they would be killed immediately as invaders uh, of no value. I I hate to say it, it sounds depressing, but I, I you know. I, I just I see no reason why they would survive, unless unless they had some trinket, mm-hmm. some maybe you know somebody with a helmet, somebody with a rifle, something that displayed some sort of value to them. Um, the women, you know, for one, mm-hmm. um, and that might explain some of uh, some of these accounts uh, of. Of you know strange physical features and, and maybe uh, maybe enough to account for a decent um, you know a decent DNA sample, um, but I, I I just find it doubtful and I I mean it's it's a long shot but you know especially it 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 just impresses me they talk about the blonde hair and the gray eyes and I I think of there's a there was a recent story of an island in the Pacific where the Aborigines um, have blonde hair and, and blue eyes, I believe. And they just concluded, they've, they've just done DNA analysis, they've just concluded that it is a result of concurrent evolution. Right, yeah. Uh, there's, there's also a place, too, in China where they, you know, there's some legends about... Um, like the Romans making it all the way to China or some lost legion making it all the way to China. And, and the people in this area of China, you know, they, they, they kind of look a little Italian, like, which, which, um, might sound surprising to Westerners, but as you probably, I mean, sometimes you're walking down the street and sometimes there are, are Koreans that like, is that guy Italian or is that guy Korean? Have you ever noticed that? Yeah. 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 Yeah, so some sometimes some Asians can have some kind of like some Italian features. Like there, it, it's not it's not it's not unusual. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that physiognomy is is not a science. So um, you know, and and or recognizing people's moods and and you know all these other other things that that other opinions that people have just looking at somebody. Yeah. Um, yeah, and my, my wife does it all the time. She looks at people, oh, she, you know, she looks kind of Chinese. Um, you know, stuff like that. She's, she's more of this kind of Korean and not that, that kind of Korean or whatever. <laughs> I was like, what are you talking about? Um, you know, so there might be something involved there. And, and, uh, you know, again, I, I, I saw no smoking gun. Um, you know, no proof. And I, I, I can't imagine. I don't know how you would actually do the analysis, either, because, it, yeah, I mean, you have you might have scattered genetic material in the area now, but what are you going to what do you compare it to? It's not like, you know, th- these people, uh, you know, took a DNA test before they left England. Um, well, so I mean. DNA wise, I'm sure there's, you know, they're, you know, like, I mean, they can sort of figure out, like, people's 
pick any random person in you know some part of the world and they can kind of figure out where you know their their mm. their, their, their you know their ancestry going way way back yeah I mean, there's there's certain kind of markers that would indicate you know where 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 they you know their ancestors kind of came from and and and, and their migration to, yeah i mean that that wouldn't be i don't think that that would be beyond beyond mm-hmm. science yeah okay well i mean that was uh that wasn't a you know informed opinion but now there there is also another uh there's another story um that it's based on contemporary accounts the same the same people that uh that wrote up the accounts of the the Roanoke voyage um the people involved and there there are these allusions in these other accounts to a hidden colony in in the interior of the the area um, where Roanoke had been set up, and um, so th- this is kind of this is kind of interesting actually because and it, the theory the theory is is that those you know perhaps that group that went west into the interior did establish another colony. And that their their wonder wonder commodity wasn't gold, but they found sassafras. <laughs> <laughs> I know I I, I didn't plan to say it like that. But, I was praying you were um, going to say unobtainium, but <laughs> it's it's as close to that as in, the, in that in that time period. It's almost like that, but um, and. The the theory is is that sass, you know, sassafras was thought to be a uh, a cure for syphilis, and uh, so the the um, the Indians uh, traded uh, the sassafras for the stuff that they, the English um, had, and the uh, the English recognized the the, the qualities of of sassafras, and then. Uh, Raleigh, in the later part of his life, there are these references to communications with this hidden colony and that he was getting sassafras or making money from this hidden colony. So, um, it's really, it's really based on these, on these accounts to these vague references, um, to sassafras and the hidden colony. Um, not, not too conclusive, but that, that's another part of, of this Roanoke um, conspiracy, um, and so, um, and and that you know, and, and you could see people people could just build on something like that and say, oh, you know, so we had this group, a sustaining colony. Um, that's the answer to the 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 uh, blonde-haired people who can read running around. Um, in the area, and there is a there is an Indian tribe that has lobbied very hard that they are they are part of this too, um, and um, but again, um, nothing conclusive. They have not. Um, I, I I think they had, I think it was about oh, was it one hundred and forty? I think they one hundred forty people. Um, with with claims, um, uh, in the Lumbee tribe, uh, in North Carolina. Yeah, 
So a very not a not a major tribe. I, I have to say too um, that um, my my American family is also has Native American blood, like okay. many people in yeah, the United yeah. States. Um, and so yeah, this, that's another reason why this is kind of interesting to me. Um, so because I, I, I am a, I'm I'm just always interested in piercing the romanticism behind Native American tribes um, and trying to restore some um, some dignity and and reality to uh, to their history. Um, and so um, the account I gave is, you know, you know, it's it's based on that that goal. Um, you know, I, I have no problem with uh, this idea of Indians trying to massacre English people to get rid of them. Um, one part of me doesn't, <laughs> actually. Um, so, uh, but I, I, just, I just find that much more realistic um, as far as the history is concerned. Um, I think uh, some of, some of the, the Roanoke conspiracy, maybe I should be careful at this point. Okay. It, I, I think part part of this, what this the Roanoke conspiracies have become, is an attempt to uh, to provide an account of the American experience that gives Native Americans a place in the story, and to to say, oh, you know, maybe. Uh, maybe there was some violence, maybe there was disagreements and misunderstandings, but we did this together in a very broad way. Okay. Yeah, we we built this. I, I think that's been mixed up. I think particularly with this this tribe in North Carolina, I think that's you know that that's you know kind of behind what they're doing is they're, they're trying to show their place in this this grand narrative. Uh, of the you know, of the United States and Canada, for that matter, uh, all throughout the Americas. Um, so uh, now there is, there is one final conspiracy that I am aware of, but that has been that has already been uh, um, thoroughly debunked, and that was the the Dare stones um, that were supposedly they were found um, in 1937, 1941. Um, they were, excuse me, yeah, 1937, uh, about 40 stones that were supposedly at the time that people claimed that they were, uh, they were tablets with writing on it and people claimed that they were Virginia Dares, um, and they were, they were later found to be hoaxes. So, oh, um, the Dares, the Virginia, that, I'm sorry, Virginia there, that was the, the the baby girl that was born, right? Right. Okay. Uh, the first uh, w- was claimed to be the first American born, um, you know, born on native soil. Oh, okay. Uh, and, so, and so, and so, what are the dare the dare stones? Yes, these are a uh, a series of tablets that had writing in English, and they. Let's see, Get my nose uh, because th- this was the one thing. These were the one um, 
one conspiracy related to this overall conspiracy that has been debunked um, at the time. And so, yeah, that I didn't really, I didn't really spend too much time thinking um, too much about it. It it doesn't seem like you know a plausible thing compared to the the DNA analysis or the other stuff. But um, you know, trying to look through my notes real quick, but uh, where I had written down about that. Sorry. Um, I'll, I'll find it when I jump right back into it. But so, it, yeah, there, it's a huge, it's, it's one conspiracy that includes a lot of conspiracies um, and a lot of things. And they all kind of feed on each other. Okay. And they, and, you know, you tend to see people like, you know, use one for the other. Um, you know, and it, the big thing about the Dare Stones was, oh, yeah, this proves conclusively she survived and she's writing. Um, you know, she's writing in an intelligible way on stones, um, about, you know, what she was doing. So obviously she survived, um, and she was educated, uh, by English speaking people. She's not just a, you know, a white girl in a, in an, uh, Indian tribe somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, but no, uh, that was debunked. Okay. So, why, why, why would somebody who are these are probably like forgeries or something? Like, why would somebody? Yeah, they were they were forgeries. Somebody, somebody trying probably to make money off of off of this, uh, you know, this conspiracy. Oh, okay. This has been going on. I mean, this is this was the the late '30s, early '40s. So this has been going on for you know the the Roanoke story has been going on for a long time. It probably on and off, you know, ever since, um, you know, the founding and before. And, you know, like I said, you know, John, you know, John Smith, at least, and other colonists came to Jamestown with this, you know, with the knowledge, you know, um, of what had happened to Roanoke. Um, And, um, you know, that, that, you know, at the very least that they had to succeed. This was... This was why they were so desperate. Because that's that's one of the things that impresses you when you read about Jamestown is that these people, at least the leadership, were desperate to make this work. And I, I think Roanoke has a lot is a lot to do with it. Um, you know, they they had a a financial stake. A lot of them. And their reputations were on the line. I think I think a lot of them realized if they failed, it was over. They were never ever going to get money again um, to do this. Uh, England just didn't, you know, the, the English government just didn't seem that interested um, in doing this, or or at least spending money for it. Um, so, uh, you know, it, it it's clear, you know, now that again, the colonists at Jamestown were not the best lot and you know they were constantly complaining and 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 actually you know at a point John John Smith had to basically turn them into indentured servants to make them work um to make them you know uh, till and and do farm work uh because they were you know they were close to 
uh, you know, to starving to death, and they didn't want to work. They just, again, they just wanted the leadership to go back to England, find us some more people, and get us some, you know, some way of surviving. And you know, Smith and the other leaders have nothing to do with it. So he basically created the the first military dictatorship in the United States. Um, you know, and basically. Um, you know, imprisoned these people in their houses unless they were working. And, and they didn't, and they didn't get food unless they worked. Um, yeah, I know. I mean, it's, it's very brutal. Um, now, uh, and I, another book that I read by, a recent book by, uh, Darren Esamoglu about why nations fail, that this is very important, uh, in the history of the United States because, you know, 50, 60 years later, when the the Virginia colonists uh, rose up against their own uh, their own state government, you know they were they were resenting you know half a century of this kind of of dictatorship against them, and they asserted their rights as Englishmen, and uh, you know they wanted more uh, more of a say in in what uh, their government did. And so, uh, you know, this is, this is, um, you know, that John Smith's misrule or, or whatever, abusing his charisma and whatever financial stake or, or uh, hopes he had for colonization were all part of the American experience. And a lot of it just goes back, you know, to, to Roanoke. Uh, this fear uh, of uh, another huge failure. So, um, you know, basically that's that's my that is my conjectural conclusion okay. that you know Ro- Roanoke was a huge failure, and that's just people. I, I think people just need to accept that. Um, and when you when you look at all these details of the people they recruited. What they um, what they wanted to do with this expedition, how they had to set it up, the information that they had about the United States at the time, the relations with Spain, um, the relations with the the natives in the area that they really had no idea about. Um, you know, for these reasons, I don't I don't think anyone survived, and I think it was. It was, I don't want to say preordained, but I just want to, you know, it had to fail in a sense. You know, it was a, it, it was useful that it failed because they learned a good lesson. Unfortunately, all those people died doing it and all that money was wasted. Um, You know, I mean, when when you look at, you know, most conspiracies, um, you know, people who, uh, you know, positive conspiracy are always like well you know nobody would have, would have done this and this and this and therefore you know it it, it it could only have been a conspiracy and if you look at like as you you were sort of illustrating with the, the you know the Roanoke story it, people are doing a lot of dumb things that 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 um from you know from uh you know with, with our hindsight would be like, okay, yeah, don't, don't send an illustrator as the leader, maybe send a, someone who's gone camping a couple times. You right. Know? Yeah. Right. Yes. I, I, I mean, I, I, I understand what Raleigh was thinking at right. that point. 
And, and he was promoting from within, if you want to look at it like that. I mean, this, you know, John White had been on the first, um, the first expedition. So yeah, from that perspective, he was a, a decent choice, but still it just looks very weird. Um, but, um, no, um, and, and also, like you said, uh, there's a bit of an anachronism in here. It's like, oh, you know, it, it succeeded at Jamestown. So why didn't, you know, it was only, you know, what, f- you know, 15 years, you know, like, you know, less than, you know, less than 25 years. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, why wouldn't it succeed? Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah so that's why. Um, there was a huge, there was a very, uh, steep learning curve involved. Um, and the same, you know, like I said, the same thing happened in, in, um, Plymouth, um, with the, the colony as late as, is 1620. The same thing happened. And the big difference with Plymouth, and this is Charles C. Mann's argument, the big difference with Charles C., uh, with, with Plymouth was that, um, you know, the, the local chief, who was involved at, the, at at that point never saw those people as a threat, um, and he saw them as a total opportunity at the at that point, and that's why he was willing to um, to protect them and to save them uh, during that horrible winter that's now immortalized as Thanksgiving in the United States. Um, yeah, yeah I mean, you know, the interesting thing is. Um you, you know, when you kind of just, if you're not really a historian of, of this time, you kind of just think like, well, you know, the, you know, the, the you know, the, the Europeans came over and they just fooled the Indians who just sort of thought they were these white gods and then they stole from them and killed them. But you never sort of consider that, you know, that the Indians were like, you know, they, they had their own very complex culture and, and, and politics and, and, you know, they don't see these necessarily people as as being you know ooh they're just here as kind of maybe like gods or or something they're going hmm okay they got yeah. all the stuff how do we get their stuff right right uh, well there is a little bit of that I mean it, even you know even the the chieftain's brother uh, down in Roanoke the first time uh, you know he he mentioned that and he thought. He thought that they you know, might have been gods, and there there was an opinion in in amongst that that tribe that they are reincarnated spirits. Okay. That was that was a theory that the Indians had that the the English um, uh, picked up on. And again, there was oh, I can't remember. Very recently, there was a really bad movie that I didn't see or I haven't downloaded. I refuse to pay money that. Like I, I go to Rotten Tomatoes, and if the rating, you know, if the rating is far too low, then I refuse to pay money, and I just download it. And this this movie had such a poor rating, I didn't even bother to download it, even though it was uh, loosely based on the the Rono conspiracy. But um, you know, but the the idea there, this movie was that. The colonists were wiped out by invading Norse spirits. <laughs> I think I think I've got that idea. You know, there there might be a little bit more to the plot, but I don't think there's much more. Um, yeah, it, it was a strange. It was really strange. This makes 
you think why, but it, there was some, I think it was connected with the, the, the stories about perhaps that the Norse had discovered, you know, that the Norse had, had traveled to America well before Columbus reached in the, in the Caribbean and that somehow that there were, there had been Norse people colonized that area and now, you know, that they, Running around as angry ghosts. I don't. I don't know. I never saw the movie. As soon as, as soon as I saw that synopsis, I wanted nothing to do with the movie. But <laughs> if it had been like time traveling Nazi zombies, that would have been like pff, that's worth any download. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I would, I would write that story. But yeah, just for fun. But um, well, yeah, sell it, sell it on Kindle. Yeah. Well, I think there, I mean, there, there have been a couple sort of historical kind of fraud, like people pulling off frauds or hoaxes where, you know, yeah, like there were like, like uh, Viking colonies in Minnesota and, and, and stuff like that. And, um, mm-hmm. yeah, so, yeah, that somehow there's some people that, yeah, they don't, just don't want to let that, that Viking thing die that, you know, that the Vikings were, you know they 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 did a lot more than 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 the, the archaeological evidence indicates. Hmm. Yeah, I, I think it's probably just the theory that you know one conspiracy theory is good, but let's use two, and we can we can get two whole groups of people in the movie theater. They they yeah uh, they, blend, they 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 tend to blend together conspiracy theories. Yeah. So, but anyway, yeah. So there's there's just so many facets to the the overall. Um, story, but I, but I, I think that the the true story, you know, or you know, trying to piece together the historical account is much more interesting um, with the politics and the intrigue. And um, I have to say, I, uh, I, I will, I will admit that um, a few months ago, I read uh, a book called uh, Big Chief Elizabeth, and that's where most of this historical information comes from uh, by Giles Milton um, just to, so people listeners who know, who know that name um, can, can double check me. Um, and then there was some other, uh, there was another author, Charles C. Mann, who talks about the, um, he has two written two books, uh, 1491 about the world before Columbus, um, uh, discovered uh, America, and then another book, 1493, where he talks about how the world changed. Um, no, I mean they're 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 really good uh, information. But uh, so he, that was where uh, I got the idea about the the differences between the the Spanish and the English way of colonizing. And I I think fortunately I think um, I I don't know. I'm hopefully optimistic that we. The United States is going to try to explore space the English way, um, but I but I hope they do it with a little bit more sense <laughs> and a whole lot more money. Um, and I, I think it's yeah, it's a choice between NASA, like going with NASA or going with SpaceX um, <laughs> that just had their 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 first successful uh, launch. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So that that's that's another way that I view this. I, I I view this as part of this tall learning curve um, of of exploration. And um, 
but I but I just worry about after after we actually get into space, the technological part of it. I worry about the possibility of life on the planet and repeating this the Roanoke experience because I think that's that's the deeper problem um, and the lesson that that needs to be learned is that um, you know what you don't know can kill you um, and I, it would have been much better if these people had better information on how to deal with these people even even though I don't know I, I I guess they probably did as much as they could they did have Monteo and Monteo should have been able to do a lot more for them but the politics of the region were, were just too complicated um, and Monteo and his tribe were just one small part and yeah so I, so I'm worried if if there is life in outer space <laughs> you, you, you know that experience could make Roanoke look like uh, you know a picnic right um, well, when, when, one comment and then one question for you maybe we should we should wrap up but uh comment is uh um a re- i don't know if you listen to the exposing pseudo astronomy podcast but one of my regular guests uh the astronomer royale of conspiracy skeptic Stuart robbins he, he does a podcast called exposing pseudo astronomy he's just recently done one on uh you know sort of the legalities of uh, privatizing space you know can you can you land? Can you just land on the moon and start mining? Uh, can you grab an asteroid and start mining? Like what? You know, what is the legality of that? So, so I, that sort of plays a bit into this. But my, my, so I would just want to kind of direct you or the the listeners to, to that episode, to, uh, sort of some related material. But my question is, you you got these. Um, uh, these people at Roanoke, and they sort of land this colony, and then there's these natives. How do they start even talking to each other? Because they're speaking English, the natives are speaking something else. How do they even begin to communicate? Okay, um, well, this is this is one of those interesting stories that uh, Milton's book talks about. Um, Raleigh in England recruited a mathematician and uh, because you know at this time the English were not the famous seafaring people that we know now um, and so he hired a, a learned or well not a learned but anyway um, a rather unproven mathematician named uh, Thomas Harriet to help him with the navigation to figure out you know all of the, um, you know, the, working the compass and all the other equipment and figuring out how do we, how do they get to this place. Um, and when Monteo and the other native um, Native American uh, Juan Chesi, I think is how you pronounce his name, when they came to England, um, Raleigh gave him a second task to learn their language. Okay. And so, um, Harry, the, and that's one of the reasons why Manteo became such a big person is because he cooperated with Harriet, and Harriet and uh, Manteo had long conversations. Um, I think it was in Raleigh's house. Um, whereas uh, Juan Chesi 
wanted nothing to do with anybody. I mean, his reaction was, it, it seems to typify the way Native Americans viewed viewed foreigners. He he looked at London and saw danger, mm-hmm. um, and he just resented um, resented foreigners immediately. Um, and I, there's really no account of what happened to him. Um, I almost got I almost got <laughs> killed trying to cross the road in in London. You you got to look the other way. <laughs> right, but I mean, you know. London, it was just, it was big, but it was dirty. Um, but, uh, no, but, uh, <laughs> had that experience in Korea. Um, <laughs> anyway. On the yeah. sidewalk, yes. <laughs> get, now, I'm sorry, you're going to get lots of angry, uh, comments from Korean people. But, um, no, um, no, but, yeah, but Harry, you know, they had long talks and Harriet devised uh, he actually devised an, an alphabet, and uh, he he and this is another little detail too. He the he used the alphabet that the English had used when they had the same problem with the Welsh when they when they um, when they encountered the Welsh uh, earlier and how to communicate with the Welsh, and um, so the, Eng- the English used their experience with the Welsh and the Irish to inform their their colonization projects also um, so he used he used the kind of uh, used that alphabet as a as a template um, and it, it worked pretty well so when there were at least a few people when they uh, when they got there uh, in the area that they were able to speak something. And to use that as a as a communication, but it's it's kind of interesting. But again, it's you know, on the surface, it looks kind of weird. Why would Raleigh? Yeah, his thinking was, oh, he's a mathematician. He's smarter than I am. Um, he can do anything that involves numbers. And then I need a language guy. Oh, you know, the mathematician. You know, because he's my only smart guy. Um, you know, basically. Um, it, it's kind, it's kind of a, uh, you know, it is kind of a brilliant, you know, decision actually. Um, and it worked. So, you know, the guy paid off. He might, and he might've been the only person who really pulled his weight in this whole venture. Um, you know, cause he, he stayed, he stayed with the venture the whole time. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the answer. So again, you know, there's, uh, there's a lot to be said for Raleigh's approach to dealing with the natives as opposed to the, the way the Spanish were dealing with them. Okay. Um, and that might be, and, and I, I think, uh, you know, Asimoglu in his book and, and, and Charles Mann, you know, mentioned this. This is one of those differences why, um, I can't remember which one, but, you know, this is one reason why United States, Canada are, you know, functioning, uh, prosperous, uh, democracies and a lot of Latin America is a basket case, um, you know, because um, of this, uh, you know, cooperation at the beginning, um, you know, some a little bit of cooperation, and this, uh, there just weren't. This is a problem with Jamestown too. Is they wanted to use Indians as labor, just like the Spanish did. There just weren't enough of them around um, to make it 
to make it worth their while. The, you know, Cortez found, you know, fell on a, on an empire. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pizarro left, be, you know, left for the uh, Peru because he knew there was an empire there with a lot of people. There was a, you know, there was a, an available labor source to implement what they wanted to do. And they were, they were implementing a model that they had used already when they, uh, when they took over the Spanish lands from the, the Moors. Okay. So, you know, again, it, it, it you know, this, it, what, what happened in, in the Americas was really not a surprise. It was like you're saying, it's not just they showed up, got off the ship and bam, there's the United States. Right. Um, you know, you know, or, you know, God came out of the clouds and said, you know, let there be civilization, um, you know, something like that, that uh, there were these uh, definite plans and, uh, you know, plans have consequences. So um, that's why that's why you and I come from, you know, one of the reasons why you and I come from a uh, two prosperous countries. Um, so I guess you can thank uh, Sir Walter Raleigh for for that one. But on the other hand, um, and this is something Giles Milton ends his account with, uh, Sir Walter Raleigh also was addicted to tobacco. Yeah. So and this became in, in Milton's account to try to wrap up the whole story. This was how Jamestown eventually was saved. Because uh, John Rolfe figured out that uh, we can't find gold. There's nothing here. There's a few medicinal herbs and leaves or whatever. They're wonderful, but they're not going to make us rich. Let's the the Spanish have had a little bit of luck with tobacco. Let's let's use tobacco. But you know, and to make a long story short. We don't have enough labor and we can't get these English people that we brought over to do anything. So we need slaves. We need slaves from Africa to to do our work. And, you know, bam, the colony becomes successful. So that's the lesson. Unfortunately, that is the lesson that was learned from Roanoke. All right, cool. All right, so uh, Joseph, um, yeah, my, the final question. Um, <laughs> if, if you listen to the podcast, I guess you know. Uh, if you were to join a um, science fiction or fantasy armed forces, and, and, and it was just based solely on how cool the uniform was, which which uh, which sci sci fi or fantasy armed forces would you join just because you just want to get in that uniform um as much as i'm as much as i'm a star trek fan um i wouldn't be caught dead in their uniforms okay as a a military person you have been in a real uniform right yes yeah i wouldn't caught dead in that that would probably would die i would say um babylon 5 cool okay earth Earth force earth force yeah um yeah, I, I also I also like Battlestar Galactica the the reboot, but mm-hmm. um, it's kind of a it's kind of a navy versus marine thing, and um, you know I, I just would never want to be in 
the Marines. Um, you know, as a as a soldier, I have my Jennifer might explain. Yeah, might understand that too. But um, were, yeah, so you were you were army. Yes, I was in the army. So um, and my most of my family was in the navy. So I, I do have this. You know, I, it, it it was a close second when I when I decided what I was going to do. But um, yeah, no, that the when you look at the uniforms in Babylon Five, um, they, they look they look very much like um, you know shipboard. Mm-hmm. Uh, uniforms, kind of officer uniforms. Um, you know, they they're they're classy. They're they're kind of trendy. You know, for the nineties. Um, but um, you know, they're not combat uniforms um, per se. And you can also they're much more realistic than other uniforms that I've seen. You can see the line from say, you know, a a navy uh, a navy uniform of today. And you can kind of trace a line to the 23rd century, okay. you know, and you you could see it's not it's not like Star Trek where the, I don't know what they were thinking, but but yeah, you know, it's a good point, good point. Yeah, you know, um, and I also the other thing I like about the uniform technologically, and I wish I had one, is I I like their communication devices. Um, I was was complaining to my wife. I said, you know. Why is it that every science show, every informed science show, Star Trek, Babylon 5, Eureka, why are their communication devices miniaturized? And But reality is, is that we have smartphones that are huge and clunky, <laughs> and most people don't even know how to speak into them properly, you know, because they're not really phones. They're, you know, but I, I love the... You know, on Babylon Five, they have that little chunk of metal that attaches to the back of your your hand, and I I think I think it's um, you know the the device is um, it can only be be used by one person, so um, you know somebody else picked it up, they couldn't use the device, which is cool, and it it I think. I'm not sure exactly how it attaches, but it's not like it's like it's not glued to the hand. But anyway, um, somehow it attaches to the hand without damaging the hand, which I think is just really cool. Star Trek is not too bad. It's the same idea. But, you know, that that little that little button that they wore on the shirt, um, you know, but I I just like that idea. Um, I, I, I just like that idea of a small telephone not this big clunky thing that you know you have to pay more for the internet connection than the actual <laughs> phone uh you know the telecoms part of it yeah it's yeah. it's ridiculous it, it pro- yeah it it proves that progress is not efficient um <laughs> yeah but anyway um I, I I could probably talk about Babylon Five for <laughs> for hours. I I love that show. I'm I'm actually rewatching it. Oh, cool. Um, okay. Yeah. All right. But uh, great. Okay. Cool. I'll I'll let you go. Uh, uh, you can. Are you ever gonna leave Korea? Or are you Are you a lifer? I've at least the last three years. I've said I wanted to leave. Um, I thought after I, I finished my master's degree that um, that I. You know, I had my opportunity to leave, and um, it doesn't look like that right now. 
Um, so with the way, the way that the college industry and most of the world has just, um, you know, just flooded with overeducated people, mm-hmm. um, probably most of your listeners. Yeah. Um, you know, so, you know, Lots, there's yeah. so Lots. many, I don't know, I don't know about you, but there are so many PhDs in Korea now okay. teaching English. It's, it's kind of sad. Well, a lot, yeah. a lot of people, I mean, a lot of people, you know, 2008, a lot of people like, oh, I'll go back to university, get my master's, and this whole economy thing will be bouncing back by the time I'm out. And now they're out. <laughs> and they're like, yeah. oh, same old. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it's the same thing in Korea too. Um, I, we <laughs> talk another hour about Korea, but yeah. yeah, I mean it's the same thing. Korean graduates have the same problems, so yeah. uh, and they're competing, and they're all competing, and that's the difference in this globalized world is that now they're competing against people all around the world. That's true. So um, you know, it's something it's something that I want to to blog more more about but uh, yeah um but thank you thank you carl i will cut this off i'll go for another hour okay Uh, all right two hours that's Uh, all right okay okay uh but very good i hope i you know i hope it was what you wanted cool all right all right your your day there on night okay have a good day yes thank you carl okay bye joseph bye-bye